0: Welcome to Crime and Beauty, the true crime podcast that ends in something beautiful. I'm your host, Megan Freeman. On Crime and Beauty, we cover topics that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Everyone, I hope you're doing okay. It's been a heck of a week. Frankly, I am totally exhausted, totally stressed out. And regardless of who you voted for, or if you didn't vote, it it's just been a hard week as a country. So hopefully you're hanging in there and doing things that are helpful in terms of, you know, just self-care. For me, I think having this podcast as almost a distraction is super helpful and hopefully it can take your mind off things. But again, I want to acknowledge that it's been kind of a crazy week and this election is just, it's too close for comfort. It is lasting a very long time and it just goes to show how divided this country is. But again, this is not a political podcast. We are here to talk true crime. So let's get into the story of Daniel Laplant. So before we get fully started, I wanted to acknowledge a few of the sources that I've used. Uh, For this particular episode, I used quite a large number of news articles as well as a documentary series um, through Investigation Discovery. It's their show, Your Worst Nightmare, and this was season two, episode one called Bump in the Night. And I'll just do a quick run through of some of the articles I, I used, and that would include um CBS Local for Boston, um, an article by Mamma Mia.com, which I believe is an Australian publication, uh, an article from Parkaman.com, APnews.com, press Form, Lowell Sun, IB Times, and as I said, the ID Discovery documentary. So I hope you enjoy this case. Pepperell, Massachusetts is a small town 35 miles from Boston. It's known for its paper mills, but not much else. In the fall of 1986, the Andrews family, Father Brian and his two teenage daughters, Annie and Jessica, were grieving their mother, recently lost to cancer. The girls were very close to their mom, and her untimely death shattered them. Brian, now a single father, worked as a bus driver, which caused him to spend a lot of time at work while the girls were home alone. Annie, then 15 years old, was distracting herself with a series of flirtatious phone conversations over several weeks with a local boy named Danny. He went to another high school, but had gotten her number from another friend. Danny was the captain of his high school football team, and to Annie, he sounded caring and seemed to be very successful at school. So when Danny finally asked her out on a date, Annie didn't hesitate to accept. When he arrived to pick her up at her house, Annie was shocked. Danny did not look at all like he described. Over the phone, he had told Annie he was good-looking, athletic, and blonde. But in actuality, he was a disheveled, greasy, dark-haired boy with no attractive features whatsoever. Annie was very disappointed, but not wanting to be rude, she still agreed to go get ice cream with him. Needless to say, the date did not go well, especially when Danny expressed an inappropriate interest in the manner of her mother's death. It seemed as though Danny was obsessed with the death of her mother, continually questioning her on how she felt at the moment she died and how much she had suffered. Annie ceased contact with Danny. Still struggling with the loss of their mom, one night in June 1986, Annie and Jessica decided to hold a seance in an attempt to contact her. After this, strange things started to happen. There would be knocking on the walls in response to their questions. There'd be odd noises around the house. Lights would flick on and off. Items would seemingly be moved at random. The doorbell would ring, but when they answered it, no one would be there. Initially, the girls believed their mother's ghost was trying to communicate with them. But as the strangeness increased, they felt more and more alarmed that something more sinister was at hand. Brian believed that it was the girls themselves who were causing all of this havoc as a result of their struggle in dealing with their mother's death. One evening in January, 1987, the strange knocking had begun while Jessica and Annie were alone in their front room. But This particular evening, it seemed that the noises were not coming from the walls, but rather from the basement. Armed with a kitchen knife, the girls went into the basement and on the wall was a message written in blood. I'm in your room. Come and find me. The girls fled the house and went to a neighbor's for help. When Brian returned from work, he was convinced it was his daughter's. The message had also not been in blood after all, but rather ketchup. Several weeks later, a similar incident played out but with even more bizarre results. Once again, the girls heard knocking noises, but this time they came from behind Annie's bedroom wall. When the two girls entered the room, they were again greeted with a message written in blood red. I'm back. Find me if you can. The aftermath played out same as before, with Brian placing the blame solely on the girls, he told them that they would need to undergo counseling to help them cope with their grief of losing their mother. And as before, the girls had called him from a neighbor's house to come home. And when he did, he had marched straight into the house. However, this time when Brian did enter the house, he noticed that there had been further disarray than what his neighbor and the girls had previously claimed. The televisions were on and they hadn't been before. When Brian entered Annie's room, There was a message painted on the wall. Marry me. Then, on the other side of the room, Brian was greeted with a horrific sight. Standing there, dressed in the clothing of Brian's deceased wife, wearing her makeup, a dress, and a blonde wig, was a boy, and in one of his hands was a hatchet. A struggle ensued, but the man escaped. Police inspected the Andrews' home and finally discovered the cause of all of the strange noises and activity terrorizing them for months. Hidden in a crawl space behind a cupboard, which was built into the wall of Annie Andrews' bedroom, was none other than Danny LaPlante. He had been living in the walls, terrorizing the family, and essentially holding them hostage in their own home. He had been coming and going through a hole behind the dryer when the Andrews were either not home or during the night when they slept. Police found wrappers and evidence that he'd probably been living in the walls and crawl spaces for months. There were a handful of peepholes dotted around as well, so he could observe Annie Andrews from whichever room she was in. It was discovered that LaPlante had obtained a phone number and address in 1986 that he thought belonged to one of his previous burglary victims, but it was the Andrews house charges against him. In that case were four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed assault in a dwelling breaking and entering a dwelling larceny of more than a hundred dollars and malicious destruction of property. LaPlante was sent to Bridgewater hospital to be evaluated before being sent to a juvenile detention center. Shortly after the Andrews family moved out of the house the house that had been the scene of their harrowing ordeal for many months now let's talk a little bit about danny and his upbringing he was born may 16th 1970 and had lived with his mother and stepfather and at that time was living with his mother and stepfather while growing up in towns in massachusetts he was sexually and psychologically abused by many adults in his life his father was responsible for the majority of the abuse Danny also struggled with school. He was diagnosed with dyslexia at an early age, and his classmates called him creepy and weird. As a teenager, he was referred to a psychiatrist because of his abnormal behavior, his appearance, and his lack of hygiene. His troubled upbringing affected every aspect of his life. His relationship with the psychiatrist eventually took a dark turn when the psychiatrist made sexual advances towards Danny. For the following year, the psychiatrist sexually abused Danny during all of their sessions. In his early teens, LaPlante established himself as a small-time thief. He spent his evenings breaking and entering into people's properties in the towns and area and stealing their valuables. As his burglary skills increased, so did his desire for torment. By age 15, he was breaking into people's homes and not only taking their possessions, but also leaving behind items in his wake. He would move around items in such a way that it made it clear that someone was in their property, but not so much that it was immediately obvious. Essentially, he was invading people's homes purely for the purpose of playing mind games with the owners. After the Andrews incident, the court determined that Danny would be tried as an adult, his mother, Elaine Moore, posted a $10,000 bond and he was released from the facility to live with her and his stepfather David at 22 Elm Street. Thick woods separated the Moore home from the Gustafson family home. On December 1, 1987, Priscilla Gustafson, a pregnant nursery school teacher and her two children, 8-year-old Abigail and 5-year-old William, were going about their day as usual. They didn't know it, but Daniel LePlant recently out on bond had broken into their home to commit burglary, a common practice for him, as mentioned. Later that day, Andrew Gustafson discovered his family murdered after he returned home from finishing a real estate deal. Priscilla, who was pregnant, was on the bed in the master bedroom. She had been shot twice. The court documents state, quote, The police found William's body face down in the tub in the upstairs bathroom. They discovered Abigail's body faced out in the tub in the downstairs bathroom. The cause of death of both children was drowning. Additionally, Abigail suffered blunt trauma to the head and compression of the neck. When police examined the crime scene, they saw parallels with the Andrews house and quickly identified LaPlante as the killer. He had shot Priscilla point-blank in the head and also raped her. Two days after the killings, LaPlante broke into two homes in Pepperell, stealing a revolver, and he tried to get into a third residence, prosecutors later said. At one home, he held up a woman at gunpoint and ordered her to drive him to Fitchburg. Luckily, the woman escaped, but Danny kept driving. Police were flooded with tips for two days, but Danny was in the wind, and the community was on edge. There was tremendous law enforcement presence, with off-duty officers assisting and helicopters overhead. A witness reported a sighting of Danny at a lumber yard eight miles away. Using a ruse, police discovered Danny hiding in a dumpster. When he was arrested, he was laughing. LaPlante was taken into custody at state police barracks. The police took him in and inspected his clothing. They found a hair on his sock that was a match for Abigail Gustafson, Priscilla's daughter. A year later in 1988, LaPlante was sentenced to three life sentences for the murders of the Gustafsons. During the trial, he showed no evident signs of emotion or remorse. Whilst clearly suffering from a multitude of personality disorders, Danny continues to show that he's a broken man beyond repair. Between 1988 and 2014, during his incarceration, he attempted to sue the courts multiple times for violation of his rights. In one case, he claimed that the prison system violated his religious rights. Specifically, he was unable to gain access to objects such as dragon's blood, black opium, and honeysuckle in order to practice Wicca, a religion whose followers utilized natural magic practices. Woe is you, Danny. On March 22, 2017, a resentencing hearing for LaPlante was held at Middlesex Superior Court in Woburn, Massachusetts. LaPlante asked for a reduction in his sentence. At the time, he was aged 46, and he was hoping for this reduction based on court decisions that say juveniles cannot be sentenced to life in prison without parole. As a result, he asked to be re-sentenced. He was hoping to serve the life sentence concurrently, which would make him eligible for a parole hearing after 30 years in prison, which was later that year. And according to his defense attorney at the time, Ryan Schiff, since his imprisonment, LaPlante has assumed leadership roles in prison groups and completed college-level courses. LaPlante said, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I am sorry. However, Middlesex Superior Court Judge Helene Kajanjin, Kazen, nope, Kajanjin, oh, that's a tough one. Well, Superior Court Judge Helene, we'll go with, said that, quote, Mr. LaPlante had not been rehabilitated. This case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. He killed a 33-year-old pregnant mother and her 5- and 7-year-old children. It's interesting because previous sources have said she was 8, but I guess she might be 7. He left a family and community devastated, and the court finds the maximum penalty is warranted. She then formally re-sentenced LaPlante to the maximum punishment possible, three consecutive life sentences, with the opportunity for parole after 45 years from the date of his conviction. Retired Superior Court Judge Robert Barton, who sentenced LaPlante, called the case the most vicious during his 22 years on the bench. If I had the death penalty in those days, I would have sentenced him to the death penalty. It was a savage killing. Former State Attorney General Thomas F. Riley, who prosecuted LaPlante, said he should never be set free. He will kill again if he's ever released from prison, said Riley, who described the crime scene as the most terrible he's ever seen. He's evil. One of Priscilla's sisters, Elizabeth Morgan Williams, said As a family, we're very happy, as happy as we could be with the outcome and the circumstances. Her brother, however, Reverend William Morgan Jr., told reporters, quote, Is it justice? How can you say it's justice? He executed Priscilla and her children. When he lifts that life sentence off them, we can lift the life sentence off him. So that is the mega creepy case of Daniel LaPlante. I will post pictures, but certainly during his trial, he is the creepiest looking thing you could ever imagine you know, going back to Annie opening the door when she was supposed to go out with him. I can't even imagine what she must have felt. Her heart must have sunk because he was a total creeper and not at all what he said he was. And it's very strange. I mean, going back to the personality disorders, you know, if he's planning to meet this girl, why would he outright lie and say all of these things when she's gonna see you, right? I mean, you can't, do that sort of Roxanne thing or Cyrano de Bergerac, you have to be physically there. So I don't know why he lied. But again, he clearly suffered at the hands of um, some very predatory people, including his father. So I certainly have um, sympathy for him as a younger child. However, uh, you know, his, what really struck me as being so evil is not only what he did to you know the Andrews family and how prolonged that was and and just um, sick psychologically speaking, but you know even when he was arrested after the Gustafson murders that he was laughing. I mean, he is just beyond help. And uh, again, I know that there's that cycle of violence, but unfortunately, considering all the things that he did, his reactions afterwards, and you know, it seems that in 2017 he was paying lip service I, I I've not found any sources that have truly indicated that he's genuinely remorseful so um, he's exactly where he belongs quite frankly but I will post pictures um, I wish you know there were besides obviously the documentary and some of the news articles there's not a lot of um, source material and unfortunately I couldn't find any like direct quotes from the Andrews family I understand that they were probably so traumatized that they didn't ever want to think about him again. But it would be very interesting if, you know, Annie or Jessica, um, either one would ever, you know, come forward and say something to the effect of, you know, how they felt or their experience. would be very curious to to hear their perspectives as adult women now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very, very tragic. Again, also with the gust of I mean other than the quotes from the family members and some generic bio information, there's just not a ton about the Gustafsons. And, you know, my, my thing is that I'd be very interested in um, providing as much details about the actual victims as possible, because I think that's really what's more important. But um, even with Danny too, I mean, his, um, you know, we certainly know a little bit about his upbringing, but other than that, again, there's not much from his mother, uh, stepfather. So, very, very tragic, awful, creepy story. Um, And, you know, sometimes you just got to believe your kids if they say that there's a bump in the wall or somebody's writing creepy messages, you know, they might not be lying. So anyway, that is the story of Daniel LaPlante. Okay, and so for something beautiful, today I wanted to go with Benefit Cosmetics Highbrow highbrow Eyebrow Highlighter. (laughs) A bit of a a mouthful there, but it's a creamy brow highlighting pencil, and as described on their website, it is natural looking with a matte finish, creamy and blendable in the formula, and it visibly lifts brows, and that is absolutely true. It is, um, it comes in like this oyster pink color. And I believe there's also the champagne one, which is kind of a gold pearlescent finish. I've had both. I prefer the pink, but basically, you would apply it underneath the arches um, of your eyebrows. And it really does lift them and makes you look more fresh, uh, younger, um, more enthusiastic. It just, it's a really nice accentuator. And it's one of those. Um, one of those very small details with makeup that makes a huge difference so you might be like well why would I why wouldn't I just use like an eyeshadow or something like that but I think this specifically with the matte finish it's very natural Um, there's nothing wrong with putting highlighter on the arches of your eyebrows but I do think for like a day-to-day look that this is is awesome I also tend to put it on my um, inner corners of my eyes and then occasionally on my lower uh, waterline just again to open the eye up and um, create a level of brightness. So big fan. I think Benefit is, has always been known for um, attacking, not attacking, but for focusing on certain techniques and tricks, if you will. Um, not to say that they, you know, I mean, I, I absolutely love their brand, but it seems that everything behind each product has a very distinct purpose. Check that out. You can obviously get it at Benefit Cosmetics and anywhere Benefit is sold, which I believe is quite a few places. Um, Sephora, certainly Ulta, I believe most department stores, but check that out. It is um, definitely a key part of my makeup arsenal. All right, everyone. I know this was a bit of a shorter one this week, but quite frankly, I've not necessarily had a ton of time to prepare, but I do think that is a very interesting case. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I hope everyone's doing okay. This has been a very distracting, intense week, and um, hopefully we will have some answers soon and we can move forward but being stuck in this kind of strange limbo is very difficult and uh, again for me I've felt uh, tension on every level so take care of yourself I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll be back next week with um, something a little bit more robust probably uh, once we know who the freaking president is You can find Crime and Beauty at crimeandbeauty.podcast on Instagram, at crimeandbeautypodcast on Facebook. You can listen multiple different places, including Podbean. That's going to be crimeandbeauty.podbean.com. Spotify, Google, uh, Amazon. What else? Apple Podcasts. You name it. So check it out. Send me a Gmail at crimeandbeautypodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any case suggestions, feedbacks, you know, anything like that, I'd love to hear from you and please rate and review if you don't mind. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening and stay beautiful.